en hartelike goeiemorgen, welkom by ons program Skrifteerlik, waar ons wekelijk saam na oplossing soek uit die skrifte, vervra waarmee gewone mense sikkel. Die Bijbel sê in Johannes 17, 17, die woord is waarheid, heilig hulle na die woord, en Psalm 119, 105 sê, die woord is een lamp vir my voete en een licht vir my pad. Kom dan saam met ons vir die volgende uur, wanneer ons geen steen onaangeraak laat, om die waarheid te vind en licht te skyn op die vraag uit die skrifte, waarmee ek en jy moendlik kan worstel nie. Kry dus gauw jou bybel en kom onderzoek saam met ons die skrifte. Dis moes nou skrifteerlik. From your ear, to your heart, to your mouth, to your feet. Join this life on 657 AM. Yeah, join this life. Good morning to you from God's Footstool here in Kilner Park in Pretoria. Thank you. Thank you, thank you so much for joining us. So looking forward to the uh, next uh, 50 minutes or so and missed you terribly last week. Rocky, good morning, my brother. How are you keeping on this beautiful, beautiful Tuesday morning? A promise of rain in the air, isn't it? Seems like it. There was a lot of wind in Kempton Park yesterday. Maybe uh, we thought maybe there would be a bit of rain there. And uh, I've been a little bit fluey of recent, but uh, apparently you're not allowed to tell people that. That's oh, uh, right. one of the worst things ever, you know. If you, oh, right. yeah. if you make somebody sick, knows. apparently yeah. that's the worst thing <laughs> that you could do. <laughs> Nevertheless, uh, thank you so much. Uh, wonderful having you back. Last week, we had a bit of a pre-recorded program because of the government program that we uh, shared with you as well. I believe that was uh, uh, only half of it was broadcast. So looking forward to sharing that complete program with you, keeping it on ice for a rainy day so to speak but as for today right here right now live broadcasting from our studios in Kilnefark in Pretoria and so looking forward to it we've prayed for you Rocky and myself we've asked the Lord to bless you as you listen to this program because in this program we search for God's undiluted truth we leave no stone unturned to find the truths of God's word and that's why we call it scriptural skriftierlik en ons het vir jou gebid dat jy geseen sal word dier hierdie program and as you listen to this program this morning can I ask you that you pray for my brother Rocky Stevenson and and uh, keep him in mind, ask the Lord to, to sharpen and quicken his spirit as uh, the questions come in. People struggling with everyday questions, uh, end time questions, scriptural questions, all sorts of questions, lifestyle questions. And uh, that God would quicken his spirit. And as we search the scriptures, that we share the undiluted truth of God's word with you. The Lord is not confused about his word. We sometimes struggle with it, and we sometimes tend to lose the way and, uh, uh, you know, not look at it in context and not read the whole scripture. And sometimes we lose the gist of it. So do stay tuned as we uh, search the scriptures. The number to which you can send your question this morning, 082-657-2729. That was a bit quick for you. Going to give it to you a little bit slower. Uh, see that you open up your contacts on your cell phone. Open it up quickly, and then uh, keep it ready. Or pen a paper and a piece of paper there, and keep it ready. O a two six five seven. O a two six five seven. 
0614-104-2729. That is the number. That's where you send your uh, questions to. And just a sideline reminder, kindly put in the scripture, the verse that you're struggling with. Would you kindly do that for us? Right, I see uh, Haylet is already on the roll there. Rocky will tackle that in a moment. You've uh, got a question from somebody that said, the temple described in Ezekiel will be built in the millennial kingdom. Now, Janina myself had a discussion day before yesterday. Uh, her husband uh, also asked this question about uh, so much stuff for the temple already in place in Israel. Uh, the, 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 the candelabrum and um, uh, the, the, the bread table for the, everything that used to be in the temple already ready. Even the heifer, the red heifer is ready. And so uh, this listener says, um, why will there be sacrifices? In this end-time temple, when the blood of Jesus was the final atonement. Uh, What does the Bible say? Does the Bible give us any indication of sacrifices that is uh, restored once again? I believe Hebrews 13, 5 says there's only one sacrifice that we should give, the the sacrifice of praise, our lips. Why do we answer this, uh, listener, Rocky? Yeah, indeed. Um, there's, There's so much confusion regarding eschatological things, and I think that's why... Questions like this abound. Many times, if you hold to a literal interpretation of end times prophecy, you'll have various folk that come against that, and in particular from a camp that holds to a more figurative understanding of the end times, where they say that when the Bible speaks of a thousand-year reign of Christ, that it's speaking of a figurative kind of a reign. Now, much of the scriptures even speak of the end times. It speaks of the reign of Christ. And it does so in a lot of detail, and it does so in a lot of detail even regarding the temple. This section and this listener is probably thinking regarding Ezekiel 43, verse 18 down to 46, verse 24. Now, that's a whole bunch of scripture in the book of Ezekiel. And even back to Ezekiel chapter 40, which deals with, again, the millennial reign of Christ. And it details for us the temple of that time. And really, that if you're looking at Ezekiel 40 and you see the size of the temple, it's simply massive. It dwarfs any form of the previous temples before. And as you've rightly said, everything's in place to actually get that going again. We've got... Um, plans for the Temple Mount that are there. We know that even the heifer, as you've mentioned, is ready. So most of what is actually necessary to be able to to have temple worship is already being ready. And we also do know that during the tribulation period that the Antichrist sets himself up in the Temple of God, which is called the Abomination of Desolation. And he does that around the three-and-a-half-year mark of the seven-year tribulation. And he sets himself up as the Christ. And it's at that point that Israel looks and says, oh, the Christ that we've rejected is really the Christ. And there's a mass turning of the Jews at that point. And so there's already that rebuild in that sense. But it would seem that the temple in Ezekiel 40 is even more glorious than the kind of temple that would be even sat down in by by the Antichrist. So right from the outset, however, as we look at this question, where there's part of it says, why will there be sacrifices when the blood of Jesus was the final atonement? Right inside of that question, there's already an, an area that needs to be corrected. And from the outset, I want to assert that that animal sacrifices never, ever atoned for anyone. They never, ever did. 
They never ever took away the sin of the of the people. It was always the atonement of Christ that would take away the sin of Old Testament saints. Pointing to the ultimate land. Yes, and even the New Testament saints. So anyone that has ever had the forgiveness of their sins has never ever been by sacrifices. It has never been by their works. It has always been by the perfect work of Christ and the finished work of Christ at the cross. So anyone that's ever been saved has been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Indeed. Now, Old Testament saints were saved exactly the same way that New Testament saints are saved, which is by grace, through faith, in Christ. Now, they didn't know Christ in the same way that we do as Jesus Christ. Well, they, they didn't, didn't know. have the New Testament. Yes, they were still looking at this, yeah. but they believed in the promises of God. And you can see that in, even in Hebrews chapter 11 with a great hall of faith. And you can see the way that their obedience even was as a result of their faith. And so they obeyed God because they had faith in God. And so when somebody obeyed God in sacrificing because God said sacrifice, it was never the sacrifice that saved them. And it was never even their obedience that saved them. That was an act of worship of a God that they trusted in, that they believed in. And so they did what God said because they believed in God. And this is the same thing that could take us back even to Genesis chapter 4 when you see Cain and Abel and you see the, the sacrifices that Cain and Abel brought, the offerings that Cain and Abel brought. Even there, Cain was, a, was not accepted because he did not bring his offering in faith. Whereas you have Abel, who was accepted, who brought his offering in faith. And so you would have a whole bunch of Old Testament people that would be sacrificing and taking part in the sacrificial system who weren't by that necessarily saved. But you'd have others that would be part of the sacrificial system who would be saved, not because of the sacrifice, but because of the Lord Jesus Christ, who that sacrifice would be pointing forward to. And so Old Testament saints would be pointing forward. We have the privilege of looking backwards. So Old Testament saints, they believed in the promises of God, and therefore the promises of God have their yes and their amen in Christ. And we look back at the promises of God, and we see the fulfillment of the promises of Jesus Christ. But the faith is the same kind of a faith, because we've got to believe what the Bible says about Jesus. And we've got to believe what Jesus says about Jesus. And we've got to hold our scripture and go, this is the very word of God. And this reminds me of what happened with Thomas. If you remember Thomas, in, and we can be so thankful to the Lord for some of the disciples that he had, you know, men like <laughs> doubting Thomas or put your foot in your mouth, Peter. Yeah. But uh, Thomas, I mean, in John chapter 20, verse 26 to 29, you remember that Jesus had already appeared to the other disciples. And Thomas says, no, no, no. Until, unless I see him with my own eyes, unless I put my fingers in his hands and I put my hand in his side, then I, will, I won't believe. And Jesus, eight days later, after having been with the, the other disciples, comes and appears. And this is eight days after Thomas has said, no, unless I see, unless I feel, unless I touch. And this is what it says in John 20, verse 26 to 29. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus said the doors, uh, sorry, Jesus came, and the doors had, having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Bring your finger here, and see my hands, <laughs> and bring your hand here, and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas answered and said, my Lord and my God. Uh, Rocky, he supernaturally knew what Thomas had said. Exactly. He, he, he didn't ask him, I believe you've said. 
Yeah. yeah, yeah that's what we would do. I believe you're spreading this story. You're saying this. But he knew. He entered in the mist and immediately addresses and Thomas. And the marvelous grace of the Lord wow. Jesus here to actually immediately address Thomas, yeah. even inside of Thomas's doubting. And now Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus said to him, and this is the, the verse that, that is in reference to us as New Testament believers. Yeah. Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. Yeah. We are those ones that do not see and yet believe. Yeah. We hold up our Bibles and we have Genesis to Revelation and we say this is the word of God. And in the word of God, Christ is revealed. And through Christ, we come to salvation. We confess that Jesus is Lord with our and mouth. Jesus is and God. we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. Amen. And such a one is born again. And so Old Testament saints were saved in the same way that New Testament saints were saved. So now coming back to the question, the temple indeed will be rebuilt because the Bible has promised that. The Bible promised that Israel again would be restored, and we've seen how some of that has taken place, 1948, receiving their land back. Can I, can I interrupt and ask quickly, do you believe there's a blueprint of that temple in heaven? Do you believe there's a, a copy of that? Because it originally, the idea of the temple came from God in the Old Testament, wasn't it? No, indeed. And all of these things were pointing towards, and you can actually, we're busy studying the book of Exodus as a church in our morning service, and you can see when Moses is up on the mountain from yeah. from Exodus 26, how God lays out these things so detailed for him. But even that passage in Ezekiel is tremendously detailed. Yeah. God yeah. is so detailed with this. Wow. And and this is one of the objections that people come to, to me with at times regarding a literature view of eschatological truth. And when I say eschatology, I'm saying doctrines of the end times in, in case somebody's right. maybe language barrier or etc. We're talking about the doctrines of the end times, which the Bible speaks a lot about. It speaks about these things all over and it's tremendously detailed. And people will say, but no, this, this system that you hold to that there's going to be the, the rapture of the church and then the seven-year tribulation and at the three-and-a-half-year mark, the, the Antichrist sets himself up and the temple's rebuilt and then the Jews turn to him and there's the 144,000 and then they, they evangelize and others come and then at the end of all of this, then Christ returns and destroys all his enemies and sets up a thousand-year and they say to me, no, but this seems so complicated. <laughs> you know, this is so complicated. Yeah. And my, my response to that is when has God ever gone away from complication. I mean, you just look at the human body and yeah. how complicated the human body is. You know, evolutionists would like to tell us that we came from a single amoeba and that we somehow yeah. had this big, pool. you know, this <laughs> this big bang type silly nonsense yeah. that they nobody that nobody they asked to, who flipped the switch. You know, and I mean, even yeah. there, Darwin himself has himself admitted that where's the fossil records? And yeah. Darwin, at the end of his life, was like, "Wait, maybe I actually got this wrong." And yet, this guy's been celebrated as the greatest mind of the last hundred years. This Darwin, and most of our schools are still doing this, and people are still believing it. But then, if you call anybody a monkey, you're in a lot of trouble. Oh, because, and we see the picture of the know, monkey at the back and but, then the upright man and the one in the front, but nobody asks where are the in-betweeners at the moment. And yet the reality is, is that what is, <laughs> that's what's busy being taught inside of our yes, schools. Sadly so. And, and Darwin, I mean, he's so guilty of so much atrocity within our world and, and so much destruction. But anyway, um, they'd like us to believe we came from the simple little one amoeba cell yeah. type idea. But when has God ever 
actually shied away from complicated and detailed. And he has done what he's done for his glory. And this is where we need to realize it. And we often look at these things from a man-centered perspective instead of God's perspective. If God is the one that has written the word of God, which he is, then we need to give him the integrity of letting him say what he says and letting him explain what he says. And so he explains what he says in different parts of the scripture. And as you've often said, God is not confused about what he says. No, God is not confused at all. And so... You know, when we think of the temple being rebuilt and we think of the specs of that temple and the fact that there will be indeed animal sacrifices because the Bible says so, then we've got to start thinking about, well, why? And what is the purpose behind sacrifices in the first place? God is always, let's say God has never, ever needed any sacrifice, ever. And that's something we've got to realize as well. So if the sacrifice doesn't save you, and if the sacrifice doesn't, isn't something that God actually needs, then why does it please God? Well, because we bring it in thanksgiving, we recognize that everything on this earth belongs to God. We recognize that we need to be obedient to him, and then in obedience, he is pleased. But we know that it's not something that he needs, but it is something that he wants. Psalm 50 would be a good um, side note that somebody could write down, and you can go and read in Psalm 50. God says, I'm not even pleased with all of this stuff that you guys are bringing. I'm not, I'm not pleased with all of the animals and all Traditions of the you know, If of I wanted these things, I've got the cattle on a thousand hills. You know, God made man from the dust. God put the stars in their place. If God wanted a whole, bu- if, if if God wanted some biltong, you know, he could make a pretty nice cow, yeah. and he could he could have the biltong without man. Yeah, he doesn't need any of that. So then, why does God want that? It's because he wants to see the obedience of man and the walking of man with him. But let's also look at something like Zechariah fourteen which is a wonderful passage, is one of my favorite passages on dealing with some of these things where we see Christ returning, destroying his enemies, and you see what he does with Jerusalem and the plains all around Jerusalem. He raises Jerusalem like a diadem, and all the nations of the world actually come to worship Christ there. So Zechariah 14, and I'll read from verse 9 to 11, and then a little bit later, verse 16 to 21, says this, And Yahweh will be king over all the earth. Now, we even as we read that, right now, Even in the New Testament times, you see Paul dealing with a subject on food that's offered to idols. And he talks about meat that's offered to idols. There's not going to be any meat that is slaughtered to any other false god. There's going to be no meat offered to idols. There's going to be zero halal. There's going to be zero any other kind of a meat. There's going to be no vegan patties that are made from grass. You know, there's going to be none of that stuff in the yeah. millennial reign of Christ. He is going to be king over all the earth. There's going to be no other kings. I mean, we've been watching, uh, I guess, or the, everybody would be aware that the queen recently died, that King Charles III has come onto that throne, and he's going to be king over all the earth. There's going to be no other king. There's going to be no other queen. There's going to be no other God. There's going to be nothing that you would sacrifice in the name of this God or that God or do it in this practice or that practice. In that day, Yahweh will be the only one and his name one. All the land will be changed into a plain from Geba to Rimon, south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem will rise rise and inhabit its site from Benjamin Gate as far as the place of the first gate to the corner gate and from the Tower of Hananel to the king's wine press, and people will inhabit it, and there will no longer be anything devoted to destruction, for Jerusalem will be inhabited in security. This has never ever happened in our world. No. It's never Jerusalem has been destroyed, I believe it was something like seventy two times or something. I, I don't know. There was some ridiculous yeah, number yeah. of the amount of times Jerusalem has been invaded and then destroyed and then rebuilt and then it's 
been rebuilt a number of times. The temple itself was rebuilt. Um, I mean, it was built first by Solomon, and then it was rebuilt underneath Ezra, and then it was built onto by Herod, and then it was destroyed again, and now it will be rebuilt again. And there will come a time where there won't be anything destroyed anymore. Nothing will be devoted to destruction, and Jerusalem will be raised up and will have um, its own it will be above all of the plain around it. And then down to verse 16 to 21 of Zechariah 14 says this, Then it will be that any who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem. You see, the, the armies of the world came up against Jerusalem and they are destroyed by Christ. But there are people that are left of the nations of the world. And it says this about them. Any that are left of the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king. Yahweh of hosts, and to celebrate the Feast of Booths. So this is an interesting section. For the thousand years of Christ's reign, the nations of the world will come and assemble in the plains that everything around Jerusalem will be made flat. I believe you went to Jerusalem I've once. I've been right? there I'm four jealous. times, yeah. um, um, How many times? Four times. Four times? Yeah, four sure, times. Sure, man. God's grace abound. You could have gone at least three and sent Just me Just ask once, our man. dad. Just ask <laughs> our dad. Simple as that, my brother. <laughs> I'll, I'll ask him and you can ask as well. <laughs> and I'm jealous of you for that. But, but as far as I've seen from the geography, there's so many hills around Jerusalem. Yes, plenty. Now, what the Bible says is that Jerusalem will be lifted up like a diadem, almost like a, a diamond on a ring. And the rest of the area around will be made flat like a plain. And it will be made flat for a purpose because all the nations of the world for a thousand years will be taking part in the Feast of Booths. That is one out of the three major feasts of Israel. And it's the one that is left for the millennial reign. And these nations will then come. They will build their booths and they will have the seven-day feast and they will take part in the sacrifices and they will worship the Lord. And it says this, And it will be that whichever of the families of the earth does not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, Yahweh of hosts, there will be no rain on them. And if the family of Egypt does not go up or enter, then no rain will fall on them. It will be the plague with which Yahweh plagues the nations who do not go up and celebrate the Feast of Booths. So what do we see even during the thousand-year reign of Christ? There's people that still will, at times, be tempted to rebel against him. Wow. And it would seem that Egypt, at one stage, doesn't go up to yeah. take part of this. And so there's a plague, even within the thousand-year reign of Christ, that is promised to anybody that will not obey, a drought, that will so not go. And so Christ reigns with an iron scepter. Yeah. He has an absolutely peaceful government, and he rules over the earth. And right is right, wrong is wrong, lion lies down with a lamb, the earth yields its crop, there's no more of that curse on the land that it only produces thorns. You can't, I mean, we can't even fathom this kind of a world. The Bible and talks about, you know, if a man dies in his hundreds, he'll be seen as dying as a young man. Yeah. Because people will live like they did before the flood. It's yeah. kind of a phase like that that we see, almost a pre-flood kind of an existence, but also enjoying almost a Garden of Eden type of existence. So you have the, the earth producing its yield. You have the people all worshiping Christ alone. You don't have any false religion. You don't have any corrupt government. You don't have any ESCOM, I mean, um, other darkness. or what, you, know, you don't have any of these things that plague us at the moment. I was just riding on the way here today and thinking about how will South Africa Africa look during a time like that where there's just absolute prosperity like this wow. but you, you find the nations of the world take part in the feast of booths this will be the punishment of Egypt he continues and the punishment of any nation who does not celebrate the feast of booths in that day they will be inscribed on the bells and on the 
horses, holy to Yahweh, and the posts of the house of Yahweh will be like bowls before the altar, and every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah will be holy to Yahweh of hosts, and all who sacrifice will come and take of them and boil in them, and there will be they will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of Yahweh of hosts in that day. And so what you see is that there's still a sacrificial system, and the nations of the world are taking part in this, but the sacrifice never atones. But God is still pleased to receive from man this gift of gratitude, the fact that he alone receives, he's the one that has given life, he's the one that takes life. We're not sure exactly how the sacrifice system will look like. We've only got some preview looks at at this. We do know that during the Feast of Booths, this was a seven-day feast. And now imagine, you know, a thousand years where everybody takes a seven-week holiday per Per year to come and take part in the Feast of Booths. And the whole world is very different during the thousand year reign of Christ. I mean, we can hardly fathom what it's going to be like. There's no longer any false God at all. I mean, people will still eat meat Mm. during that time. I'm just thinking about Ben Gurion uh, Airport that needs to expand for all the planes. (laughs) For sure. Uh, And everybody coming up to to Zion. I just wonder, I mean, you might be able to ride a. um, you might be able to ride a whale there. Who knows? You know, so we, we're not sure exactly how this is going to work out, right. but we do know that the animal kingdom even itself will be restored to a place that it ought to be. A child can play at the den of a viper and the viper won't strike him. You know, so the animals themselves are under the dominion of man there. We also know this, and this is one of the glorious realities of this thousand-year reign, is that Satan is bound during that time. Yeah. So he doesn't deceive the nations at that time. Um, he is bound, as as it were, in chains. And um, if you want to go and look at the Feast of Booths a bit more, Numbers 29 lays out what the sacrifices would look like during the Feast of Booths. But some important things to bear in mind, even in the Old Testament sacrificial system, was that never, never did it ever give forgiveness of sins. It yeah. was a reminder of the Messiah, and it would point forward to the Messiah and the fact that he was coming. It was constant, a constant reminder to the people that he was coming, and the fact that the wages of sin is death. Yeah. And so for even in the people of the thousand-year reign, they would be reminded that these animals are dying also because of the fact that man had sinned back in the Garden of Eden. So they have for themselves the whole plan of redemption laid out before them. They don't have any mystery anymore. Like we, we don't have a mystery about Christ's first coming, but there's a level of mystery regarding Christ's second coming. And by the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and by prayer and by learning, etc., we get to understand a lot of these things. But there's still a level of shroud over some of this. And it points forward um, to the millennial reign of Christ as as they would be able to look at this and they'd say, oh, all of this is laid out before us. We see all of redemptive history and we see the way that this all works. See, the Old Testament saints also didn't know about this mystery period, which is called the, the, the period of the Gentiles. They didn't know about Christ in us, the Gentile world. Yeah. And that, that was a mystery to them. But there's a coming time where all of this will be laid out plainly before the people. And so what an interesting topic to think about, just remembering that that there's no sacrifice other than the sacrifice of Christ that has taken away the sin of the world. And none of the Old Testament sacrificial system ever did this. But there's a gratitude from the nations that they ought to have for Christ. But even this is something that's sad. And just as a closing, at the end of the thousand-year reign, remember what happens? Satan is loosed. And the nations of the world turn against Christ. And so it shows you again the deep darkness of the heart of man, that even when they've had a thousand years 
of an absolutely perfect government. Christ in our midst. Christ in our midst and coming year by year to worship him. It just shows you how desperately wicked our hearts are and how desperately we need Christ. And it shows the absolute mercy of God. See, there's evidence during the scripturally that there are those that get saved during the seven-year tribulation. You've got the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. They get saved. They evangelize. There's a bunch of people that get saved, and that's the tribulation martyrs. It would seem that many of them get martyred. But there doesn't seem to be evidence, really, of the nations of the world that are left after Armageddon that actually turn to Christ. So they ruled over with an iron scepter, but at the end of the thousand-year reign, they turn against Christ. And this is absolute sadness. And it causes you to look into your own heart and realize that you cannot, by your own pride and by your own way, come right with God. You need the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you have this parable, as it were, put before you of something that's going to happen in the future that causes you to realize how desperately you need Jesus now. All right, uh, that uh, that question, thank you. And as this uh, listener did, anonymously is sending it in. We get a lot of in-time questions as well. So you're welcome uh, to send that in. Casa says we have to play some music. And uh, Rocky to take a breather there. Can hear this man has got a passion for the Word of God and a passion for what he's doing. So uh, bless your heart for sending in the questions. Haylet, when we come back, we're going to tackle that question of yours. Thank you so much. You want to send in a question, you can do so by sending it through to Away to six five seven two seven two nine. Deislig, I is getrou. Lord God, you are trustworthy. You are the omniscient, all-powerful, majestic one God of this world, and we worship you here on this radio station. We'll be back after this. Yeah, kom vry jou vraag en kom deel saam met ons die volheid van die lewe op 657 AM. Jy is aangeskakel op skriftierlik en saam met my in die atelier pastoor Rocky Stevenson. Get a pen and paper ready at the end of this program. We'll give you his email address so you can contact him and plenty people has made use of that option. Uh, option. Rocky, you get uh, lots of emails? Yeah, I've been receiving quite a number of them. I'm very grateful for them. One of the thoughts I had a bit earlier is that if you've sent through a question that hasn't been dealt with, you're welcome to send it again because we do try and deal with all of the questions, but we do get quite a lot, and um, there's times that I'm a bit long-winded <laughs> with my answers, and then we don't get to some of a them. pastor and, in uh, the true sense. I've got to get used sense. to not preaching a sermon here and just answering a question. <laughs> all right. Uh, hey, let uh, you up next. Bless your heart, Rocky. Thank you so much. The telephone number in the atelier is here. What's up, Voldeer? Stier 0826572729. Skriftierlik tot en met 5412. Good day, pastors. Thank you for the amazing program. I hang on to every word you say, and I'm wondering, is it biblical to pray the blood of Jesus over people, over your house, uh, for protection over your car? Uh, this question was left over on the 13th of September. Apologies for that. Uh, hey, look, we, uh, we're not in studio on the 13th. We had a uh, rebroadcast, and she's also asking about podcasts. Yeah, well, that was a uh, half a program that was broadcasted on the 13th, a pre-recorded program. So we'll get that update a little bit later on, and we plan to broadcast the complete program. Hallett, I hope you understand that. Thank you so much. Rocky, what do we answer her? Is it biblical? Blood of Jesus? In a simple response, I think that there's a lot of superstition often that gets brought into Christianity. I've, uh, I once had this experience, and it comes to mind, uh, I won't say who it was or where, but it was a high-up official in our, own, in our government who I was praying with at one stage. And um, 
and I got to his his office the one day, and he wasn't there. And his secretary um, said to me, "No, no, you can go in." Um, and and then he called me, and he said, "No, Pastor, while you're there, you know, just I know that I'm not there, but just please sprinkle the blood of Jesus for me there." Wow. And um, and I, and I got confused. You know, what in the world? I actually just said, "Just sprinkle the blood." Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and I thought to myself, what in the world is this man talking about? Only to realize as I was talking to him on the phone, no, I must sprinkle the blood of Jesus. And he saw that as um, me praying in his office. Yeah. And you come to realize that you're, you're actually a little bit more of a Sangoma in the person's mind than a pastor at that point. Yeah. Because there's the superstition about your prayers being this sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. And what is a saying today becomes the truth tradition of man tomorrow isn't it if we yes. don't guard against it and search the scriptures and see uh, what does the actual word of god say with regards to this yes and um and we don't have any place in the scriptures that talk about pleading the blood in that way or you know um sealing genesis to or, revelation none you know, none we, we've got no what we do have and this is this would be where i would appeal and 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 we find this in ephesians 1 verse 3 which says this blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, that is a wonderful verse. That tells us that the finished work of Christ was so final for the Christian that you have got every single blessing in the heavenly places in him. And now that that fills you with a, a huge amount of confidence. And we also know that him that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. Yeah. And so we don't need to have this fear. There's times where I've been asked as a pastor, won't you come and, you know, anoint my house? or anoint? And I'll say to a person, look, we, I'll, I'll happily come to your house, you know, yeah. have some hospitality with you, and I'll happily pray for you. Yeah. You know, it's wonderful if you've or got a – with you. You know, with you, and I'll pray. You know, and I pray that the Lord would be pleased to – to use your home in hospitality towards the saints and, you know, that you would have a good Christian home. And, mm. you know, we can pray and trust the Lord regarding this. But but to to have some kind of a superstition where you have this. Well, a notion, Rocky, I want to ask this and I want to highlight it and emphasize it because you are a pastor. You're now closer to God. Therefore, come and pray with me. It would have more of an impact because God seems not to hear my prayer, answers my prayer, so you better come and pray for me. That's not scriptural either, is it? No, not at, not at all. And, and, and look, you can't, it, it is, you, you, you land in some precarious situations as a pastor at times, and there's a lot of this mentality that people often have, and you can't always correct it immediately. I've had men sometimes that they want me to pray for them, and the next thing they're kneeling, and they're asking me to put my hand on their head, and they've got this idea in yeah. their mind of, yes, you're closer to God now. Now, of course, a, a, a pastor or an elder must be qualified according to Timothy, First Timothy 3, um, you know, Titus yeah. chapter 1, and there ought to be a, a blamelessness regarding the pastor's ministry, etc., and and a pastor ought to be walking near to the Lord, but a pastor's no closer to to God than um than any other Christian. Yeah. And they don't have a different Bible than any other Christian. Yeah. You know, we're not a especially in the let's say the um Protestant uh, Christianity. Yeah. You know, I mean we don't dress a, a man like a woman and call him father and then he's nearer yeah. to God. You know, we, we have 
we, we, we have a different view of this. Yeah. We have the priesthood of every believer, and we have every Christian encouraged to and read the Bible. And the veil has been Bible. torn. You have Indeed. direct access to the Lord, Indeed. isn't it? And what Christ has done is so final for us. And so yeah. we don't have this kind of pleading of the blood in that sense. All right. What we do is we recognize the blood. I think that would probably be better. We recognize the fact that Christ has died, that he also rose again. His, his blood is no longer something that's still flowing. You know, his but somebody's given me a long list uh, once of, of, of scriptures that says there is power in the blood. In fact, there's even songs like that. Uh, you agree with that? Well, I mean, you know, it, it is by Christ dying on the cross and his blood that was shed and his body that was broken yeah. that we come to redemption. You know, we, we remember this every week that we have the Lord's Supper, for yeah. example. I All mean, right. this is an ordinance that Christ has given to us. Yeah. And so he has said, now take of this cup, and when you have this cup, remember, this is a new covenant that is poured out in my blood. Okay. And when you eat of this bread, remember my body was broken for your sin. And so the church takes part in this even today. The true church of the Lord Jesus Christ takes part of this um, ordinance, remembering that we, even though we are many, are part of this one body in Christ. And we remember that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again. We remember the gospel. And then we also remember that Jesus is coming again. And so when we think of the blood of Christ, it ought to remind us of the fact that that is what has washed us. But it's not pleading that blood in some kind of a superstitious kind of a way. Oh, right. It's actually remembering that Christ had done it all for us. Yeah. You know? And I think that there are some that have this idea that there's still this blood flowing, that there's still this blood that you must plead, or there's still this. And I think that that is a superstition that goes further than what the Scriptures do. And it would also tend towards something of a works-based ideology. I'd, I'd encourage listeners to go look at a book like the book of Galatians, where Paul um, deals with the church at Galatia very Heavily, he actually uses very strong language towards him. He says, who's bewitched you into thinking that you need to still have some of this Old Testament stuff to, to do with your Christianity? Jesus is enough for you. What he did at the cross is enough for you. Yeah. You don't need to have all of this other stuff that's added to your faith. And I think that's what some people do today. They feel that it's too simple to just have the gospel of the truth of Christ having risen from the grave, and yet that's how profound the gospel is, and yet that's how simple the gospel is. And so we must be those that confess Jesus as Lord with our mouth, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, and then we know that from a passage like Ephesians chapter 1, that uh, verse 3, that every blessing in the heavenly places has has been given to us in Christ. We don't need to be going around... Um, you know, doing similar to what we see in many false religions yeah, right. to try and uh, kind of get extra blessings. She's using the word here, I'm wondering if it's biblical to pray. In other words, this is supposed to happening when you're in, in conversation with the Lord Jesus Christ. How are we, are we to pray then? Uh, I'm looking at, at Matthew 6 and verse 6 hmm. that, that says, But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, lock the door. And then God says something in verse 7. I say, Gebruik nie eidle herhaling van woorde soos die heidene nie, want hulle dink dier hulle baie woorde sal hulle verhoor word. And that's another indication of how we ought to pray. Be careful of 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 stammering and, 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 and just using this whole barrage of words, isn't yes, it? Yes, and I think that's good that the listener is thinking through what are the kind of words that I'm using because we often will repeat what we hear others say, but we should actually think about what we say. Yeah. And we should think about what we do as Christians. We should be mindful people, and God expects us to be a people of the mind. You know, we yeah. ought to 
put off the old self, renew the spirit of our mind, and put on the on the new self. Oh, right. And and so it's great. And I think that is an excellent cross reference. And even as you see further on in Matthew chapter six, you got the Lord Jesus giving them the Lord's the Lord's prayer. Yeah. And even there, you don't see in Jesus' teaching of his disciples. Anywhere they're saying, well, plead the blood. All right. You know, plead the blood. Now, or, now, now let's yeah. make it practical. If I have been doing this up to now, is it simple as saying, Lord, I did not know. Now I know. And from this day onwards, no more pleading the blood. Just stop it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Just stop it. Simple as that. Just stop um, it. Look, I mean, you don't need to be too worried. Um, the Lord is not. He's, he, you know, I think, again, because we, we sometimes when we adopt that type of superstition, we also adopt a lot of fear. And there's a reason that we then adopt that superstition because we have this idea that we've got to know, okay, if I don't do this thing, then I'm not going to get blessing and I'm not going to have blessing. When you, when you realize that you have blessing in Christ, as long as you have the biblical Christ, you've got the Jesus of the Bible. You don't even need to know everything there is about Jesus. You just got to know the Jesus of the Bible and then trust the Lord to by his Holy Spirit work in your heart over time. But then you can just, you know, you can ask the Lord, um, Lord, please continue to sanctify my prayer time. And, um, and then just seek to pray biblically and realize you have already got all this blessing. What you should really be asking is, well, Lord, how can I actually bless you today in the way that I live? How can I live in a way that is faithful? towards you and we've got a lot of new testament passages that talk about obedience better than sacrifice and talking about the importance of prayer (laughs) as well you know pray without ceasing and getting getting to a place where you have a communion with god that is that is rich and vibrant and even using the words of the scriptures towards your prayer time with the lord all right Elliot, thank you so much. And, uh, well, it's as simple as uh, Pastor Rocky said. Well, we stop it today. Simple as that. No more needs to be added to that. Uh, Rocky, we've literally, can you believe, time's absolutely flying. Uh, just just under five minutes left in this program. I had a question about translations and a simple question. Why so many translations? Why do we need to write and rewrite? And and then I want to add, Rocky, I want to add, if I may, from my own accord here, the very last pages of Revelation chapter 22, verse 19 in as iemand van die woorde van hierdie boek, profetiese boek wegneem, sal God wegneem sy deel uit die boek van die lewe, en as iemand, if somebody adds something, or somebody, how do we know, and, uh, and, and the Bible is still rewritten as we speak now, why, what, what do we answer this person that says, why do we have so many translations? What, what's a joy about um, a lot of this, in our days, well, we don't we don't speak Greek, we don't speak Hebrew, we don't speak Aramaic. Aramaic yeah, you know, we um, we do see our Lord Jesus actually giving a stamp of approval towards faithful translation of the Old Testament in the Septuagint because the New Testament was written in Greek, and the Lord Jesus actually used some of the Septuagint direct quotes. Um, of the Old Testament from the Septuagint, and so by what, giving what approval is, to that, by then. giving approval to yeah. that, and so when when you have translations given that are faithful to the text, yeah, it's a wonderful thing, and it's a wonderful thing to be able to read it in one's own native tongue, and when it has been faithfully translated from the the Hebrew and the Greek, All and right. I do want to dif- differentiate between. You've got three different kinds of Bible translation as such. Well, people see it as translation. I think you've got one that really can be called a translation, and that's where you seek to have a word-for-word translation from the original Greek or Hebrew manuscript. 
And then you have something which is called a dynamic equivalent. A dynamic equivalent is when somebody tries to translate thought for thought. And so they take a thought of a, in a passage, which you would say maybe a paragraph, and they try and give the thought. So what is the main thought behind this translation? And then they try and give that thought. So that's a dynamic equivalent. And then you have something that's called a paraphrase. And, and I would, I would st- stay clear of the dynamic equivalent as well as the paraphrase because that's when somebody comes in and then they make it say what they want it to say. And that often leaves a lot of room for the translator as such to almost make it fit their theological category as best as what they can. Yeah, right. And so today, if you're looking at English translations, some of the best ones that you can look at, you could, um, the, the Legacy Standard Bible has just come out, which is a um, refreshal of the New American Standard that has gone back to the Greek, the Hebrew, and has looked at that again. That's excellent in today's English. Um, some of the other ones that you could look at, the New American Standard, the New King James Version, the King James Version, uh, the the ESV is quite a good word for word as well, though that was taken from the CEV and there's um, contemporary there English some, version, yeah. standard English and, version. Yeah. And so, what, what's wonderful though as well is that we're so blessed in having a lot to actually be able to compare with and to be able to look at. And sometimes you've got a um, English word that, um, or let's say there's a there's a Greek word that you battle to actually translate into English, or you might battle to translate into Afrikaans. And what's helpful then is you're able to look at how is this translated in different ways yeah. so that you can you can see this. I'm just thinking on the Eskimo Bible. They've never seen a lamb in their life. They knew about seals. Yeah. Talking about your seal of approval. But, I mean, they never had a yeah. – so you can understand we need translations. Yes. Yes. And, um, and so, I mean, even in Zambia, actually, weirdly enough, I think it was a week ago, Wycliffe celebrated one of the languages in Zambia that got translated for the first time. And it's the first time that – that language has ever been written wow. actually in a book. And so Wycliffe Bible Society, you could go and support them. They are a wonderful Bible society that is translating the Bible around the world. And it's necessary for man to receive the Bible in his own native tongue. And that's something that we fought about as Protestants in the Protestant Re- mm. Reformation because there was the superstition regarding the Latin Vulgate, mm. which um, they said, which was translated by Jerome around, I don't know, 450 BC. And, um, and they said there only the priests could have have this Bible. And so something that we've died for all along church history has been having the Bible readily available in your own hand. So you could get a good Bible um, app as well. You could get something like Esword. That's Uh, trustworthy. Um, You could actually have a comparison of some of these versions and be able to look at it. But if if you could do a basic study in Greek or Hebrew, that would be super helpful because then you can go back and go, what is this word that's here? Um, simple example, we were looking at Thessalonians this last Sunday, First Thessalonians 5, and there's a section that talks about knowing your elders or knowing your leaders. And in other translations, it says respect your leaders or acknowledge your leaders. Now, that same word could be translated in those three ways. And each way that it's translated also helps you understand that word a little bit better. What does it mean? All right. It's also another one, Precepts Austin. You can go and look at that as well. That's uh, also just undiluted word of God. Rocky, time has caught up with us, my brother. I'm going to miss you already because can't wait for next week. Bless your heart. Thank you for all the wonderful comments that we've received on uh, WhatsApp. Sorry if we've missed out on that. And this is where that pen and paper come into play. If uh, somebody sent you an email and I see that they said, Pastor at the Benoni Bible Church. Mm-hmm. 
Bible Church. I'm not going to say anything else. Otherwise, I confuse you. It's pastor at Benoni Bible Church. .co.za. There you have it. Thank you, my brother. You have a safe journey back to Benoni. Regards to the yeah, wonderful to have you this morning. And God willing, if the Lord tarries next week, some more program scriptural where we search your uh, with you the Word of God and find answers to your questions that you might have. Thank you so much uh, for uh, all the questions we received this morning. And as always, we end with these words: It's good to listen to Pastor Rocky. It's good to listen to Radio Pulpit. It's good to listen to those opinions around you. But ultimate, Acts seventeen eleven says, search the scriptures yourself to the, see if these things are so. All that's left to say till next week. Keep well. Look after yourself. And till next time, God bless.